I'm reading from Revelation 4, verses 1 through 8. He who has an ear, let him hear. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire which were the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like an ox. The third living creature was the third living creature with the face of a man and the fourth living creature like an eagle with wings in flight. And the fourth living creature, each of them, oh, sorry, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Well, good morning. It's really good to see you. Well, thank you. Uh, as, as Evan shared, I, I'm excited to see familiar faces, excited to see new faces. That's a great sign of a church that's growing. Um, for those who may not know me, uh, I'm Chris Morris. Uh, for 11 years, I was the youth pastor here, and exactly a year ago, uh, we moved to Middletown as God has commissioned us to plant a church there in Middletown, uh, and so that was the start of Gospel Life Church, and so I bring you greetings this morning from Gospel Life Church, uh, and I want to share with you uh, how we feel about our relationship with you and, uh, and the encouragement we get from you, but they're not my words, they're Paul's words from Philippians 1, verses 3 to 5. Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so of all the things I would love to share with you about what God is doing at Gospel Life, uh, there's a lot that we're, we're super humbled and thrilled about um, I want to at least let you know we are incredibly thankful for your partnership, for your prayers, for your words of encouragement, uh, and so my church as well uh, thanks you for that. I want to thank Jamie for letting Nathan come down and preach for me down there while I'm up here. Curtis was kind enough to give me a week off and let me come preach here, um, as good preachers do. Um, but I, I, I do want to ask you 
for your prayer for our church in, in two specific ways here really quickly. Um, we've been super excited to see new faces every week of people who have come and said, can I bring somebody new? Can I bring my fiance? Can I bring my dad? Can I bring my coworker next week? And we're like, wow, church is really new to you. Yes, that's always a yes. You can certainly bring them. Uh, and so every week we have people coming in who take a few steps and they kind of said, I, I was kind of expecting to like burst into flames or something. This is sort of all they've heard about church. And to go, we're coming in and we're hearing about this guy named Jesus and how he's changed you people. And how you're not that weird. <laughs> but that there's something different here. Can we come back next week? And so I ask you to pray for a number of the people coming who are just starting to learn about who Jesus is. And so all the songs that we sing, you can see them trying to learn the music but just going, these are words that I've never used in context with the name of Jesus before. And so I, I ask you to pray for those that are coming. I don't want to share names. I know some have said they wanted to watch this <laughs> uh, later this afternoon. And so I, I don't want to necessarily share names. But if you can pray for that group of people. But there's a second group of people that have been coming um, in, in the new faces. In faces that when, when many of you come down to visit, you're like, oh, I, I see a number of people I don't know. Half of them are people who are in that brand new to Jesus category. The other half are predominantly in this I got really hurt by people in the name of Jesus at another church. And so they're coming going, because it's such a small church, because I could, this is my way to kind of step my foot back in the water. And so if you can pray for them as well, that, that as Wayne and I are, are wanting to disciple and serve, we have a breakfast with somebody who's just eager for the word and eager for all of it, and then we have somebody else who's just going, this wound is still fresh, even though it was six, eight, ten years ago. And so pray for us as we counsel and advise. Pray for our church as we grow. The excitement of some is giving hope to others. The consistency of going, this is what church could be like that we didn't get, uh, allows this magnitude of them to come together all around the name of Jesus. And so as I, I wanted to come today to be able to share with you those prayer requests, but even to share, it, we, we've spent the last six weeks down in Middletown talking about heaven and diving into that topic and going, there, there's so much here, partly that we've, we've only, only gotten a glimpse of it or we believe two or three things about it and there's so much more to understand about heaven. And it can be an, an awkward topic of conversation because there may be things about it that we can't wrap our head around and just trying to think about it can be uh, a mental exercise that, that can be confusing. We're going, I hope there's scripture that says this. I hope this is there. There also can be a lot of, a lot of hurt and going there. As I get older, my list of people I can't wait to talk to when I get there grows. And that pain of missing them is, is deeper and truer as we get there. But as we looked at, at heaven, as we looked at what, what Scripture tells us of what we're going to be like, of what the new heaven and earth is going to be like, of what we get to do in heaven, all of that surrounds the throne of God. That if we get to all that stuff and we missed what's happening at the throne of God, we've missed it. And so when a new book comes out or a new uh, Christian movie or so on that comes out saying something like, I went to heaven and here are the people I met. That those are wonderful people you probably met, but if one of them is not Jesus, then I'm really concerned where you actually went. Because if we're in the presence of God, it's almost like you got invited to a dinner with the king and all you want to talk about is the place settings. Like, that's great, that's awesome, I hope they were great, but please tell me about what you saw with God. 
that I don't believe you could stand before the throne that was just read about and talk about something else. And so I want us to take just some time this morning to look at Revelation 4, to look at what we can expect when we're in the presence of God on his throne. That someday we get to be there physically and even now as we pray, as we sing, that this is a reality of what is happening in heaven that we get to be a part of. But again, because there's so many different things that can be told about what heaven is going to be like, I'm drawn to Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Where Paul challenges this young church and says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow or deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and on the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority, and that's what we get to see on this throne. And instead of addressing all the myths and all the the misconceptions of heaven, I want to take a different approach this morning. I want to go right to the source. I was reading an article about the government officials that are responsible for identifying counterfeit money. And this training officer was talking about uh, the process they go through as they train new people. And they said, we spend a little bit of time working through all the different possible details we've seen in the past of this different color ink and this different design here and this and this. Because those are rabbit trails we could chase forever. When we train our people, we give them an original. We say, you memorize what the real thing looks like. Don't get distracted about what everybody else is saying. You go to the source and this is what we spend 90% of our time memorizing. Every bill that can be there. And that's what I want us to do with Revelation 4 is to go, I don't just want to talk about things that are out there. I want to go, let's go right to the source. And so I want us to look at three things today, three of of an inexhaustible list of things that are going to be true in the presence of God, but three I want to point out this morning. And then I want to look at two things that are not going to be at the throne of God. And so I want to dive in with this this morning. Revelation 4 verses 1 and 2 Say this, after this I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. I think the first thing we get to experience in heaven or one of these many magnificent things we get to experience around the throne in heaven is we get to see the face of God. And I don't want to just fly past that. Because in Exodus 33, we see a conversation between Moses and God. And Moses, who had one of the most intimate relationships with God besides Jesus in the Bible. And Moses, in all of his frustration with the Jewish people, gets on the mountain with God and goes, God, please, show me your glory. Show me your face. And God responds by saying, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. But you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. 
If this description in Revelation 4 shows a throne that I'm standing before and this brightness of what's on the throne, here is the face of God that I'm now able to see. And this is something that should astound us. The obstacles of seeing God are daunting. I know you've just finished a a series in Hebrews, and Hebrews 12 verse 14 tells us that without holiness, no one can see God. For us to see God, it would require that we go undergo something radical between now and then. And it's only because of what we've sung about this morning, only because we will be fully declared righteous in Christ. Only because of what Jesus has done for us, declaring us completely sinless and innocent at the judgment seat of Christ, that we can see God and live The second thing that we see in this passage that I want us to try and wrestle with and grasp is the majesty of God. The majesty of God. I love the description of the physical environment of the throne of God that declares this, starting in verse 3. And the one who sat on the throne had the appearance of jasper and ruby. That's red and white. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From this throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. We got a glimpse of that last night. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face of a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Again, here communicating, God saying, I'm seeing everything. Day and night, they never stopped saying what we just sung, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Eugene Peterson wrote this. Every sign of life, every impulse of holiness, every bit of beauty and spark of vitality are arraigned around this central throne that pulses light, showing each at its best, picking up all the colors of the spectrum in order to show glory's fullness and lives that have been defaced by sin into blurred charcoal outlines are now seen in their true colors. I love the descriptions that we see here of a variety of colors, of lightning, of a sea of glass, of of these things to even begin to go, this is around this throne. We see God's power over nature and creation. These four creatures that are very intimidating when we read about them or think about them represent creation. You have the lion that is the noblest. You have the ox that is the strongest. You have the man, which is the wisest. You have the eagle, which is the swiftest. He's saying, I'm covering all of creation, and my authority rules over all of creation this way, that these these creatures that are covered with eyes are saying, nothing escapes what I can see. Nothing is beyond what is under my authority. And I love that as I look, and I think about John writing this in the first century, 
this kind of a God was something that was very countercultural to what they were believing. This is a time of Roman mythology of hundreds of different gods, of a belief of going, there's no way one supreme God can have power over all these different things of nature. And so in Greek mythology and Roman mythology, there's God of the hunt and God of war and a goddess of love. And they, they go on and on and on. And their supreme God, even in the whole system, is Zeus. And what is a symbol of Zeus? A lightning bolt. And here's John going, guess what comes from the throne of the supreme power and authority in all of creation? He is over all of it. He is that powerful. He's that majestic. And he's trying to help make that point to us, to them. He is Lord over it all, and his throne demonstrates that not only does he have authority, but all creation knows it and worships him. The third thing I want us to see in this throne is the centrality of God. The centrality of God. The throne of God is not in some corner in heaven. It's not in some side road in the new Jerusalem or the new earth. It is central to everything. We see those words here in verse 3, an emerald rainbow encircles the throne. Verse 3, surrounding this throne were 24 other thrones. In other words, drawing more attention to go, this is what we're worshiping. Verse 6, in the center around the throne were four living creatures. All heavenly existence surrounds God's seat on the throne. He is at the center of all worship and rightly so. If we think about it, it was God who created us out of nothing. It was God who knit us together in our mother's womb. It was God who knew every part of our existence before any of them came to be. It was God who desires that none should perish. It was God who sent Jesus on a rescue mission for us. It is God who declares us righteous. It is God who calls us a son or a daughter. It is God who commissioned us to carry his grace and hope to a sinful world despite our own frailty and brokenness. It is God who has prepared a place for us and is preparing us for a place. We contrast that with worship here on earth. We currently live in a world where the center of our worship is under attack to have so many other things fight for that throne. That's not going to be the case in heaven. There's going to be no doubt what we're worshiping, who we're worshiping, that, that what our focus is on the entire time. And so even looking at these three, and again, there are so many others that we can pull and understand by the nature of God and the character of God that we see in this passage. But even looking at these three, we go, how, how do we respond when these things are happening? We, we sing, and it's, it's recorded a number of times in Revelation, the, the lyrics of the songs we get to sing, and we even have a number of musicians who wrote songs for us to use those lyrics so we get great practice here on earth in saying those words to God. And I remember probably about 10 years ago now, I went with Jamie and Din and, and Matt and Katie Hall down to the Passion Conference with the college students. And I remember going, I, I can't wait to go with 60,000 college kids, 60,000 people all coming to worship God at a conference. I'd, never, I'd been to, to Christian concerts of a few thousand. I'd been to some conferences of a few thousand, but never 60,000. 
And I remember going, just the anticipation of going into the first session, the first meeting together, and you're going, man, I can't wait to worship with this many people. And I remember even thinking through heaven and thinking through uh, this, this is just going to give us a sliver of what that worship experience is going to be like. And, and I, Mercy Me had a song out, I can only imagine an amazing song, but that chorus just says, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you? Or will I be still? Will I shout hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? Will I stand or will I fall to my knees? And I remember standing there and the band starts in, the con- in, in session one and people start to sing and I couldn't move. I couldn't utter a sound. I wanted to, but just the overwhelmingness of going, here's a whole group of people saying together, we don't even know each other, but together we have the same purpose and we're going to shout out the praises of God because he is majestic. He is the holy one. He is worthy of all the things that we're proclaiming to him and to just go, I want to sing and no, nothing can come out. And to just take it in and go, this is only 60,000 people. How many millions are going to be in this worship session that we're going to have with God? But, but as we look at worship, it's not only music. It's going, God's given us so much to go. I want, you can worship with the abilities I've given you. You can worship in fellowship. You can worship in being out in nature and going, God, you are so good to give us these things. You know, that's what we get to do. And I realize some of you may go, I, I like music, but singing's not really my thing. Like, I'm still working on that. Maybe in a glorified body, God will fix that. But with me singing out, it could interrupt the holiness and worship of those in front of me. I don't want to be a hindrance to people. But when I think of this kind of worship, when I think of us being able to gather together and sing these words of holy, 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 as much as I grew up in choirs and love the multi-part harmony and all of that, there's a part of me that goes, I connect more in a concert setting or in a sports arena so this is what it's going to be like. For those who don't know, I, I'm a lifelong Eagles fan. And we can have a time of prayer and you can forgive me later, but I, I've always been an Eagles fan. Grandpa was an Eagles fan. My dad was an Eagles fan. As soon as I could do it and wear Kelly Green, I have not given up on my Eagles. And every time the Eagles win at home, and, or they know they're going to win before the game is over even, what do they blare over the sound system? Fly, Eagles, fly. Thank you. And when that song starts to play, do people go, well, I don't really have my singing voice today? No. Does it matter uh, the social class of the person sitting on your right or your left? No. Does it matter what color they are, what language they speak? No. Does it matter how well they can sing? No. What you do is you're locking arm in arm and you're belting it out even if you lose your voice because your team won. And there are times that's a rare occasion. (laughs) But when we get to heaven... We're going to be joining arm in arm with people we don't know. And we're going to be celebrating. And we're going to be shouting it out. Why? Because we won. Because this is before the throne. The one that that we could stand before. And in just the fear of God, he could go, nope, you're done. But he goes, no, I want you here. I know you. I'm going to call you by name. And I'm not going to worry about what harmony part I'm singing. I'm just going to be belting it out. As soon as I can get words out. But I praise God that of all the things that are going to be at the throne, there's going to be things that are a part of our human experience in life that are not going to be there. And these took some, some 
some thinking over of what, is this, what does this look like in life? What does that even begin to, to process this? And even as a church, we've been just chewing on it. The first thing that, that is not going to be part of heaven, not going to be in this, around this throne, is the law of diminishing return. It's an economics term, and I get the same look that I got at my church, like, what? Let me put it this way. For my birthday, my wife is kind enough to go, what kind of cake do you want? And every year I say, I want cheesecake. I'm a cheesecake fan. Get the other stuff out. I'm a cheesecake guy. Now, on my birthday, man, I'm going to love a slice of cheesecake. Maybe even the day after my birthday, I'm going to love a slice of cheesecake. But cheesecake has a very quick law of diminishing return. Right? By day three, four, five, you're like, ah, I got about 1,200 miles I got to walk off on the last couple of pieces. I'm good. What was exciting a little while ago might not be that exciting today. And there are so many things in life similar to a food item, but even David gets to, to saying in his walk with God, say, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation because the joy of, of the law of diminishing return has stolen the joy from that and I need it brought back. In heaven, that's never going to be the case. I want us to see First Peter Verses 3 to 4, Peter writes this, saying, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance, get this, that can never perish, never spoil, and never fade. Amen. And when we're before the throne of God, that there's never going to be a time where we're like, eh, not as good as it was last week. I'm not that excited to be here. I'm not that moved and in awe of who God is. It's not going to be a thing. David ends his 16th Psalm saying, God, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. That's a perfect present tense statement. It's saying there's never a time when you're going to be in the presence of God that the joy is not going to be full. That takes some thinking for me. Go, man, so much in life that I've, I've enjoyed or when it started, this is awesome. And just as time goes, the excitement fades. The joy may fade. And it's got to do work to keep it there. But not in heaven. Not in heaven. This thing is going to be real. And it's always going to be awe-inspiring to us that the God of creation the God who sits on that amazing throne is never going to get old, is never going to get boring, is never going to get tiresome. The second thing that's never going to be in front of this throne is fear. And I realize in Proverbs we hear that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There's, a, there's a, an understanding of respect in going, you have that authority to just be done with me. It's like being in the wild with, with a lion. Like, I, I fear you. I respect what you can do to me. And if you stay over there and I stay over here, we can make this work. It's going, I recognize your power and I respect that. But when we think of all of our human fears, the prophet Micah addressed that in Micah chapter 4. Where he says this, in the last days... The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. 
It will be exalted above the hills and people will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come let us go to the mountain of the Lord. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Here's a few things we had to dive into in our longer series that are just in those verses of going, hold on. Many nations are going to come into the kingdom of God in eternity. Well, who's going to lead those kingdoms? If everybody there's name's written in the Lamb's book of life, there's some responsibilities people are going to have over nations. And that's just to give us a glimpse of, of what worshiping God is going to be at a broader scale. But then even to say he will teach us his ways. So in eternity, we're going to keep learning. That we're going to know a lot more than we know right now. But we're, we're still going to be able to, to sit at his feet and learn. But Micah continues, the law will go out from Zion. The word of the Lord from New Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. He's going, these nations coming in, these nations in eternity are not going to have to worry about a military and fighting and defending. I'm going to turn all those, all those soldiers into farmers. That these laws, these disputes that we can think of when we think of ruling nations is not going to be a thing. Those are going to be quieted. We're actually going to have good relationships within these nations and just trying to, to fathom what that's going to look like in eternity. But we get to verse 4 of Micah 4. And we get to the rest that Evan was talking about. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree. And no one will make them afraid. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. Can you imagine? Even going through one day, even making decisions and things like that where there is no fear behind any of those decisions. That's one that's blowing my mind. No fear of what others might think of you. No fear of trying something and failing. No fear of looking dumb. No fear that something will go wrong, that you forgot something. No fear, that, no fear of danger to you or anyone that you love. No fear of loss. No fear of the unknown. No fear. No fear. At the end of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. When God says this in Revelation, saying he's going to wipe away every tear, he's communicating to us that everything that held us back, everything that, that stopped you from going, I, I, could, I could serve God this way, I could, I could share the gospel with this person, but there's fear, there's fear going, what if, what if this happens and what if this happens? It's going, I'm going to wipe away all of that, all the sorrow, all the pain, all the doubting yourself, all of it is going to be gone. Everything that broke your heart. Everything that brought you pain, everything that you spent hours upon hours upon hours worrying about will be silenced. And as I continue processing and trying to process what life without fear would be like, you go, if, if fear's not at this throne, then what is in its place? Peace is in its place. 
true, unhindered peace. In Philippians 4, Paul talks about this peace. He challenges his, his church saying, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, because here's what's in store. Because I know it's a battle now, but someday the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So in Revelation 4, we see this throne of blindingly bright light, of lightning and thunder, of creatures that are quite intimidating around it. And here's God going, I don't present this as, a, as an intimidation to give you fear. I present this as an invitation to give you peace. That there's nothing in all of creation that is not under my authority. There's nothing in all of my creation that I can't respond to and I don't have a plan for. And so to read Hebrews 4, where he says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy, that we can find grace to help us in our time of need. When I first read Revelation 4, it, it revolutionized my prayer life. I'm not just praying to some long gray-haired beard figure in the clouds. I'm praying to a God who sits on this throne who says, come to me. What do you need? I want to hear from you. I, I, I can welcome you by name because I love you. And not only does it change how we can pray, but it's going, this is the kind of God we all want to come before. And if I'm excited to be in front of this throne, maybe I'm excited to share that with somebody else. Many in our church were saying just what I understood about heaven wasn't so exciting for me to go there, let alone to tell somebody else about it. And so being able to go, what does scripture say about it? What's going to be there? I want the last word that we ever describe heaven with is boring. Because it's going to be so far from that. Because this throne is there and it's welcoming. And you get to be there. Will you pray with me? Father God, it is such an honor to come before this throne. To imagine this, this visual that we've just looked at. And to possibly imagine that you are saying you're welcome here. These aren't threatening figures. These are figures of showing my authority over everything in life. And so there's nothing out of bounds. There's nothing you can ask me that, that I can't handle, that I can't respond to. And God, I know in talking to many people, they go, God sounds good, but I've, if you only knew what I've done. If you only knew how many times I've used that name, not in the way you use it. If you only knew. God, I praise you that you know. And I praise you that, that you welcome me anyway. And so God, as we sing, as we sing the words that you've given us the lyrics to here in Revelation, that we get to sing them to you. We get to practice here on earth these praises of lifting you up. 
because it were only possible, it's only possible to be before this throne, clean, innocent before you because of what Jesus has done for us. And so God, may we accept that. May we cry out to you for forgiveness because we don't want to be on the other side of this throne. We don't want to be there where this is incredibly terrorizing for us of going, I really hope you say the right thing to me. I really hope I've done what I need to. And God, none of it is because of what we've done. It's all because of who you are and what you've sent to rescue us. And so God, you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of all that we get to lift back to you through our lives, through our voices, through our coming together. And so God, as we sing these words, may we sing them unhindered, unadulterated, purely back to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.